Well, we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the uh, manifesto of the king, the uh, diatribe of the king himself who communicates the message in a sermon that is unforgettable, and we move quickly into action. Now, this is a, there's a transitional verse that's going to help us do that, but I want you to see that the action of the king follows hard on the heels of the sermon itself. Because it's not just the sermon, it's the person of Jesus Christ who's going to make a difference in the lives of people. And I'm impressed that we didn't start with action and then got to the sermon. This shows the sheer confidence of Jesus Christ to do what he came to do. Most men, if they didn't have the confidence that Christ had, would to go into ministry and see if a difference could be made in the lives of people. And then if that action ministry worked out, they'd get up and preach about it. But Jesus preaches the principles and then lives the life out in the world, touching several groups that we're going to look at. But I want you to look at the last two verses of the Sermon on the Mount. These aren't the words of Jesus Christ. They were entered in by Matthew because he wants us to see the reaction of the crowd. He wants us to understand the impact that this sermon had on its hearers. There's a famous story of an old-time preacher back in England who preached a great sermon and was outside and the parishioners were shaking his his hand And one asked him, or mentioned what a great sermon he had just preached. And the old preacher looked at him and said, thank you, but what did it do? What did it do? What response did you have to that sermon, decision that you made, change in your life? Take a look down at the last two verses of chapter 7. Verse 28 says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, And there's a time for the preacher to finish his sayings and be done. I like that. The crowds were astonished, shocked, amazed. But I want you to notice it wasn't just the subject title or the title and subjects of his sermon. It was the way that they were delivered. Notice it says they were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority. In contrast, it says, not as the scribes. The person of Jesus Christ and the way he delivered the sermon was like nothing they had ever heard before. How did the scribes teach? They simply quoted from rabbis of years past. It went something like this. Rabbi so-and-so said this upon this verse in the Old Testament. Rabbi so-and-so said this and this and this. And they would build their case, generations of rabbis, back, 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 simply quoting other men. Jesus quoted no one. Because he was the authority that brought the message. It wasn't up for debate what he said. It wasn't up for a discussion. He preached, and when he preached, he preached with authority, A thus saith the Lord, the way a king would address his subjects. When a king walks by, he speaks with authority. Chanda was down on the pew down here, second pew, ready for practice. And we were ready to go and she wasn't moving. And Sid moved up behind her and said, I need you on the the stage and I need you up there now. 
spoke to Chanda with authority. She let me know. She paused for a couple seconds to let him know that she'd go when she was ready. We need the authority of Almighty God and the Lord Jesus as he preaches and speaks. Look, it was not just the message. It was the personality of Christ that was overwhelming to them. It was, and look, sermons aren't about what we learn. Sermons about the person we are confronted with, Jesus Christ. Sermons come and go. Principles and philosophies of how to live come and go. Most of them get flushed hours after the sermon. But when you're confronted with the person of Jesus Christ, you are never the same again. And they were impacted because of Christ and the things he said. But I don't want you to lose and miss that. So take a look at verse 8. He transitions in chapter 8, verse 1. In their astonished measure, it says, he came down from the mountain. They were up on a mount, surrounded by those who were following him, his disciples. It was a Bible study preaching time. But there was a time for the Bible study to be over and life to be lived. We'd love to always stay in church 24-7. Well, maybe some of us would. We love to hear the sermons. We love to be inspired. We love to be around fellow believers. It's encouraging. But there's a time for all this to, to end and for us to go out into the world. Rebecca Manley Pippet years ago, wrote a, wrote a book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. Good title. We were never meant to be in a salt shaker as Christians, isolating ourselves. We were meant to mix it up with the crowds, mix it up with the least of these, mix it up with the sick and the vile, because we're sick and vile. Jesus went down from the mountain. I don't want you to miss that. By the way, at this point, the king has just delivered his manifesto, Seems to me to be a time to gather his troops together and formulate some kind of plan. A strategy, if you will. Some sort of layout of how the ministry will go. I mean, those who follow might be confused if we don't understand that we're going to have a a seminar next week and a conference in Capernaum and a a revival on the streets of Jerusalem. And there's no program given. There's no strategy offered. The men were told, follow me around. That's a good plan. That's the way life is. I fashion what I try to do around here. I I mentioned to Ed at 10 after 10. I said, by the way, Ed, in the midst of him starting to start to teach the singers, you're baptizing this morning. Oh, okay. These guys are used to that. (laughs) Throw something in at the last minute. Because that's the way life is. That's the way Jesus conducted his ministry. Man, he's just walking down the mountain. And they're like, man, we really like to stay up on this mountain. But they're following him down. Notice what he gets down there. It says great crowds followed him. Great crowds follow him. And that's the last we hear of those great crowds. Crowds come and go. 
These crowds will return mostly to get a meal and get some healing. Jesus addressed crowds. Yes, he did. But we never hear of life-changing activity in the crowds. Everything that Jesus is going to do is one-on-one. Individuals that he meets. Because he doesn't change congregations. He changes individual disciples within that congregation, which changes everything around it. He addresses people one-on-one where you live. This. The crowds follow him, but then we're launched onto three different healings. And I want to I diagram these healings for you before we get into what's going to happen, because I want you to see that Jesus is going to touch three different people that this world would cast off. And ministry happens wherever you are. All over. I was uh, at Sam's a couple weeks ago with Benny, and I was in the line getting ready to check out, and I saw an old, he must have been 90 years old guy, and he was in one of those lawn chairs at the front of Sam's, and he was, he was out, man. He was sleeping heavy. And I leaned down to Benny. I said, Benny, I think he's dead. <laughs> and Benny looked up at me and said, Pop, you can die at Sam's? <laughs> I said, yeah, pretty much you could die anywhere, man. Last night I was in Sam's and I was having chest pains because gas in my chest. And I thought, how ironic would it be if I dropped over and died in Sam's? You know, at the funeral, Benny was like, I knew it could happen. It happened to Pop right there. <laughs> Ministry and people, you can, everywhere you go, there's, there's people that need Jesus Christ. There's hurting people, man. You don't have to knock on the doors. Just, just bump into them wherever you go. And find out what's going on and let God use you. Notice the three groups. I'm going to just diagram for you. First of all, he's going to come upon a leper. Now, you need to understand what a leper is. I'm not going to go into great detail because it's quite disgusting in its description. But basically, it starts like a sore or a, something, a rash on the arm, leg, some part of the body. The first thing you notice is their numbness. Now, leprosy is used in the Bible. It's a very real disease and sickness, but it's used as an illustration of sin. The very first thing is a numbness. Sounds a lot like sin, doesn't it? A numbness. You can't feel anything. There was a doctor who worked in leper colonies years ago. It's recorded in a book. He was traveling home on the train. He just worked with a bunch of lepers in the colony. And all of a sudden, he couldn't feel his arm. Couldn't feel his arm. He grabbed a, a pin out of his book bag, and, 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 and in great fear and trembling, he, thought, and he stabbed it into his arm, and he shouted. He said it was the most beautiful pain he'd ever felt. <laughs> Apparently, his arm had gone to sleep. He was laying on it in some way. But it begins in numbness, and begins to sore, and then the sore begins to become infected, and there's a discharge, and it's incredibly foul, and it begins to spread. It can take months, it can take years. Body parts eventually fall off from the rotting. Fingers, thumbs, ears. Wherever that leprosy 
spreads, body parts fall off. The leper back here needed to cover himself completely. He was not allowed out in society. If he was, he was was commanded as he went down the road to, to cry out, leper, 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 so everybody around him can get away from him. He was was a true untouchable. No one wanted to be near this guy. Yet Jesus is going to do more than just heal him. You'll see in a second, he's going to touch him. Touch him. Jesus Christ touches sin. And he is unaffected by it. He touches us in our sin. The second person that we're going to see probably in the weeks coming up is the Roman, Roman guards or the Roman officer's servant. The second person that Jesus is going to heal is one that the Jews despise. They hate Romans. They're occupying their land. The first leper was rejected. We reject him. We reject him out of society. We reject him to go near. But the Roman officer's servant, they were despised. And this is who Jesus was going to heal. The third that will come upon in coming weeks, as we look at it, is Peter's wife. Well, what's wrong with Peter's wife? Why would that be significant to a Jew following Jesus Christ? Well, I'm sorry to say, it's because she was a woman. And women in this culture were non-existent. Oh, they were there, but they weren't counted. They they weren't counted. The average prayer of a Jew when he got up in the morning, he said, thank God that I'm not a Gentile, a child, or a woman. That's what they prayed. So he touched three that these Peter, James, John, the the other twelve, the people that were following were like, what's up with this guy? He's touching, he's healing, he's dealing with people that we, number one, reject, number two, despise, and number three, oblivious to. We ignore them as if they weren't human. Don't you love Christ? Don't you love the way he did ministry? Don't you love the in-your-face stuff? And he never sat down with these guys and said, fellas, I'm going to go do this and this and this. And that's going to offend you. If you don't like it, just take off. He just started doing it. He just started touching people. He just started ministering to people that they had nothing to do with. Because they wanted, he wanted them to know what kind of savior he was. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad he touches us who are sinners? rejected by this world, rejecting ourselves, and yet he takes us in. Aren't you glad he he loves everyone equally? No one impresses him. He loves us all. Equally. Well, let's go down to the text and just look at the leper, and then we'll be finished. First one, he came down, the great crowds followed him, the crowds came and gone, and behold, a leper came to him. Now, this is out in the countryside, This is out in the countryside. Uh, The Roman was in Capernaum, which was a city. Peter's wife was in a a home. 
So we got ministry out in the country, we've got ministry in the midst of the city, we've got ministry right inside somebody's home. See the three parallels? So on the country, a leper came to him. Now notice the contrast between the crowds and the leper. The crowds followed as if curious to see what would happen next. But the leper came to him. Don't miss that. You can follow him from afar by attending church all of your life and never really coming to Jesus Christ himself. You can miss that. It's always a personal interaction and relationship with Jesus Christ that changes our lives. Not following him out of curiosity or out of tradition, or whatever it is. He came to him. Notice he knelt before him. These crowds weren't kneeling. He had a need. His heart, he was rejected. Never forget how bad you see a man. He was once someone's child. That he had a life before all that happened. That every human being that ever lived has value to Jesus Christ. Everyone, and you'll meet all kinds. And they are the ones who kneel. The heart that's broken kneels. The recognition of who Jesus Christ comes to those who see themselves as leprous. And they have nothing to bring. He wasn't offering Jesus anything He was falling before him. It's beautiful. An artist can't can't paint it that well. We can't describe it that well. The scenes are, it's overwhelming what's going on here. This, This one scene speaks volumes throughout the centuries of you and I. And me as a 19 year old sailor falling on my knees before Christ, seeing that, that, that I had a need for a Savior. It's happened in all of our lives. Aren't you glad we fell on our knees before Jesus Christ and had that moment in time? Rick had it a couple weeks ago, right over here on this pew, when he bowed his head and asked Christ to save him. He looked up and there was a, there was a look of relief on his He looked a little different than he did when he bowed his head because he'd met Jesus Christ. Notice, he says, he speaks, and his first word is Lord. Koreas, it means sir. There's a respectfulness there. Lord, if you will, oh, so important, if you will, you can make me clean. Wow. There's a recognition of who he is kneeling before. No man could ever help me. Everybody rejected me until Jesus Christ took me in. He's the only one that could touch my sin and not have that sin transfer unto him. He was perfect purity. And in that purity, he could touch a leper and touch our hearts and not have it taken unto ourselves. Wow. Don't ever lose the wonder of that truth. The glory of that moment. 
If you will, I know you can make me clean. Let me tell you something, uh, something else about the cleanliness or the clean that Jesus Christ brings. It is never defiled again. What he makes clean is never defiled again. When we say we're perfect tens around this place, there's no braggadocious spirit in that. There's no pride in that. There's a recognition that he made us a ten. He made us clean, and we walk in that purity. Not a purity I have to achieve, a purity he gave me as a gift. And we are clean before the Lord, never to be defiled again. Never. It's beautiful. It's called eternal security. My puppy dog's getting, getting potty trained, getting house trained. He's doing pretty well. He knows what the grass is for. He knows. But once in a while, you step in it. You know, I've had a time or two where I thought I'd throw him out, but I've decided I'm going to keep him. Because <laughs> that's all a part of that early training. And I look at him and I don't brag on him. I said, no, 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 no. And we go outside and he does it and I say, yes, yes, yes. I'm starting to talk to Addie like that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Training her like a puppy dog. <laughs> when we first come to Christ, we fall. And we fall all through our Christian life. He never casts us out. When he steps in it, he cleans it up and we move on. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be cleaned by Jesus Christ. We are always clean. How many of y'all have ever been disappointed in yourselves? What were you doing trusting in yourselves? What did you expect? All we can do is mess up. But he has made us clean. And that cleanliness doesn't do like this and do like this up and down. It is always perfect. Revel in that. Walk in that. Never be discouraged with any failure or fall of your own. Never. Because he's not. Never once did, you know, notice, never once did he stop in ministry and look back at his disciples and say, you know, you guys, I, I, I've had enough. You know what I mean? You, you're not getting it. You're really, you really, you, 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 all the conclusions you're coming to are wrong. You want me to rain fire down on these guys and, and this and that. He never turned to them and frowned and said, you know, I'm pretty much fed up with you. Never. Not even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not even then. A couple more verses. Notice, Jesus stretched out his hand. The Holy Spirit wants you to see that he not only stretched out his hand, he touched him. He touched him. We weren't there, we didn't see it, but I'm of the opinion that when he touched them, all the disciples stepped backward. And quite possibly there was a gasp in the air. It's over. He's touched a leper. Quite possibly, this Jewish carpenter is going to get leprosy. But he didn't. 
He touched the untouchable. And only he could do that. No man can help you and I. Only Jesus Christ. No man can save us. We, maybe you try to reach out to people. Only Christ. He touched him. And he said, I think it was eye to eye. I think it was close. I will be clean. What an economy of words. What concision. I will, semicolon, be clean. It happens that fast, you know. I love that. No process. No long-term commitments. No probation period. When Christ comes into a life, it is changed automatically, instantly, with the words of a prayer reaching out to him, and Christ comes in. I will be... Notice he doesn't say, live clean. Be clean. I'm making you clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately. <laughs> uh, when I see that, I always think of the healing lines you see on TV sometimes. I haven't watched that stuff in years. Where people will come up, you know, and they're half limping, and, and, or they got some kind of sickness or disease, and the guy slaps them in the head, and it's, it's, it's just games, and, 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 and it's, it's trickery, and, and, and it's deception and false prop. But they're all doing this stuff, and he comes up half healing, and the guy slaps him, and he, and he goes off stage, and he's, he's, he's better, but he's still healed. When Christ heals, it instantly, and I believe the skin of this leper became the skin of a baby. You know, there's a difference between the skin of a baby and the skin of a 60-year-old. A big difference. It's fresh. It's elastic. It's, it's beautiful. After I change Addie's diaper, I just grab her legs and rub her legs because it's so, so soft. I think that's the skin he had. That's the spiritual skin you and I have right now. Did you catch that? Not just, you know, when you got saved. Yeah, when I got saved, it was like that, but now I've been through a lot and I've messed up a lot. You have the same skin that he gave you when you got saved. It's a baby's skin. You might, you might be old and crusty and most, a lot of, you know, some of you are. <laughs> Stuff's falling off and wrinkles and all kind of warts and stuff coming up. Spiritually, our skin is absolutely beautiful because of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him in verse 4, this is surprising, and I don't think the crowds are there because the crowds wouldn't be there with a leper there. I think the crowds are pretty much gone. They definitely took off when the leper showed up. See that you say nothing to anyone. Don't go, don't go tell people what, why would he tell him that? Here you're beginning your ministry and probably the disciples might have pulled him aside and said, you know, that's not a good plan. You need everybody to see what you're doing here so we get a crowd. He wasn't interested in a crowd. He was interested in human lives, people. That's who he was interested in. Don't tell anybody, because, because my miracle, what's happening between you and me is between you and me. That's it. This isn't a show, and I'm not a trickster, and, and this isn't 
When he saved you, he didn't save you so he could display you as a trophy to all the world. He saved you because he loved you and wanted to cleanse you from your sin. And he wanted to put your feet on a rock. He cared about you, not anything you'll ever do for him. He doesn't use people. He's not going to use this leper. Don't say anything to anyone. Now there's reasons theologians have battled about why he told them that. Perhaps it was he didn't want the big crowds because that interfered with his teaching ministry and touching people. Perhaps he didn't want the attention because he didn't want the, the Jewish leadership to come down. And, I mean, he had a couple years before the cross. He had a lot of work to do. He didn't need them coming down. But I think it's basically because he wanted that man to know, I'm not making a show out of you. I care about you. This isn't the first time he's going to tell somebody to be quiet about what happened to them. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer a gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Why would you have to have proof? Well, because in the Old Testament, if you had leprosy, the only way you got back into society if you were healed, was to be go in front of a priest and present your body, and they had to fully inspect you. You had to offer a sacrifice, and then if the priest said, hey, he's healed, he's, and people did get healed from this stuff, if they were healed, they could be let back in home. So what was Jesus Christ doing? He wanted the man to go home. He wanted the man, he understood the importance of community and society. He wanted him to be a part of everything that's going on. And, and you know when people have leprosy and they have sin, we all know the history, you know? And then they get saved and we go, you know, I, yeah, but, you know, but nothing. They are to be let back into the community and society. And that's what Jesus Christ wanted with no cloud hanging over them. How many of y'all got clouds from your past? I got clouds. I got stuff. Yeah. Now the son of Jesus Christ drives all those away. But there's stuff that could be brought up about me. I'm thankful none of you know any of it. <laughs> Here we have a leper. Now I usually at this point of the sermon give you three things I want you to know. But I'm not going to do that this morning. Because the story speaks for itself. You've seen a man who was outcast, who had the faith and courage to come to Jesus Christ, fall on his knees and say, if you will, you can make me clean. Have you done that? Are you born again? Are you saved? You, you, do you know that? Most of you do. But it always begs time. It, 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 it's always the appropriate thing to say in the midst of a sermon to stop and say, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been truly born again? Because until that life comes into you, you're just, you're not saved. No amount of church attendance gets you there. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, never forget that we were all that leper who fell at his feet and never take for granted the cleanness of your soul before him. Amen. We are clean. Amen. That's what causes us to live clean, knowing that we are clean. 